Sholem Aleichem. Welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with Eitan Kensky. Eitan is the Yiddish Book Center's Director of Digital Collection Initiatives, and he's also the editor of the 2017 Pockentrager Translation Anthology. Along with Eitan today, we are joined by Sadie Gold Shapiro, who is a Yiddish Book Centered fellow, and many of you listeners may have heard her before in a former visit. Uh, they're here to talk about the new translation anthology, which they worked on together. So in the introduction to the anthology, you wrote, immediately after we published last year's Pockentrager translation issue, we received an email from one of our readers, a longtime member of the Yiddish Book Center. I'm paraphrasing you, wrote. But the email went something like this. Where were the women writers? You certainly took that email to heart. So what went into soliciting and selecting the submissions for this collection? It really was a response to that email. Um, it wasn't something that I thought about at all. Traditionally, the process for the translation issue was just to write our translators and say, hey, give us whatever you have that you're working on. Give us what you're excited about. Give us something polished that we could use for an issue. And then we got that email. And it had been something that we thought about while editing. We thought, well, um, do we have enough women in this anthology? And we took one or two stories, but in, in truth, we just hadn't had many submissions of writing by women. So we thought, how can we encourage more submissions? This isn't going to happen naturally because so many of translators seem to have a bias for translating Yiddish, Yiddish male writers. Uh, what can we do to encourage it? And we thought, let's do a special issue. This, we want it, this would be a great way to introduce the idea of having themed issues to the anthology. So why do you think there are fewer translations of women's work? Most of the writers who are critically canonized as being a part of modern Yiddish literature were men. Uh, so people have to look beyond the names that they might see in a course or beyond the names that they might see in an anthology. They have to do some research in order to discover this world of Yiddish writing by women. There's plenty of material out there. I'm learning about more and more every single day. And I hope that we can have more writing by women as a regular part of our translation program at the Yiddish Book Center in order to encourage people to keep looking into these works that they might have not have otherwise heard of, and also to uh, direct people to the Yiddish books themselves to, in the hopes that they work on translations. So I wonder, and you know, this mic may go back and forth between you, if you can just talk a little bit about some of the women writers who were included in the anthology, who they were, where they lived, um, and were any of them new names for either of you? Yeah, so we got tons of submissions. We were really lucky, and there were definitely some new names for me. I know I spent a lot of time digging through the stacks, and as a Smith alum, uh, I definitely have an eye for writers who are women, <laughs> and I definitely prefer the phrase writers who are women rather than women writers, but... Um, Fair enough. Stricken in the editorial process. Uh, yeah, I think the writer that was the biggest surprise to me was Devoira Fogel, and I did talk about her a little last time, but... Again, sort of, um, I was amazed that I had missed this incredible modernist writer. Uh, it would be remiss not to mention that Ana Elena Torres has also translated her work, and she was one of our translation fellows a few years ago. Yeah. Um, so we're really lucky to be able to bring her work into a broader canon. I feel like we are kind of participating in the canonization process now in our own way. Uh, other, other fantastic translations... What's coming to mind for you? Uh, Bricha Kudli, this oh, yes. mm -hmm. poem called Freeways, which is about urban renewal in Los Angeles, but uses uh, terminology and 
imagery that really recalls Holocaust poetry because it, it makes sense actually because it's the traumatic destruction of a local community. And I wonder, you alluded to this just a minute ago, Sadie. My other question was going to be, how do you think this all fits into the canon and, in general, the culture of their fellow Yiddish writers? Yeah, I mean, Aton's really right. When you put out a call for translation, a lot of people are translating men. And that's true, I think, in most fields. You'll find that people are translating the works of men. People know about the works of men. I certainly even went to Smith College and read tons of men, so it is possible but I do feel that the work we're doing is making a significant impact on sort of the cultural canon and the discussions we're having in the Yiddish world today. Bringing these writers into translation means they're going to reach a much wider audience. And already I've spoken with people on the phone, through email, through Facebook that have found new pieces to translate, some of them by writers we covered in our anthology. So I feel like we have opened a door along with our translators and now people are stepping in. And to add to that, I would say that the one area of Yiddish of writing by <laughs> sorry. writers who uh, are writers, women, right? Sorry, Yiddish right? Yiddish right? I will never get this right. Um, in a lot of Yiddish literature courses, there was often one week that was devoted to women's poetry. Um, that Yiddish writing had kind of been distilled to a number of very powerful modernist Yiddish writers. These are great poets, absolutely fantastic. Uh, Anna Margolin, um, Rachel Korn, uh, Celia Jurokin, these are writers who deserve to be studied. But we should have more than one week, and it shouldn't just be about poetry. And in general, I would say that there's been a dearth of translations of Yiddish prose that had been written by writers who were women. And so much so to the point that people, I was starting to hear people say, it just must not exist, this prose by women. So I was really excited to see, you know, what I see every day on the stacks of the Yiddish Book Center, that there's tons of prose by women. It's just waiting for a translator. And Faith Jones, who's a friend of the Yiddish Book Center, has been putting together bibliographies of nonfiction um, by writers who are women who wrote in Yiddish um, that will hopefully get more attention. So a little snapshot for our listeners um, about what's in the issue and maybe speak a little bit. Well, you have spoken a little bit about the writers, but um, also maybe did they bring a different perspective to their writing? Um, and chronologically, did they fit in to this landscape at a different time? I think I somehow mentioned this before in the last time I was on this no. podcast, but there are two <laughs> Soviet Yiddish stories, or one maybe post-Soviet in terms of its composition, but it takes place in the Soviet era. So there's a story by Yen Damash, a satyr in the taiga, and there's another story, High Doorsteps, was translated by Faith Jones. Uh, and they both, by virtue of taking place in the Soviet Union, capture an experience that is less well-known to uh, most readers of Yiddish literature who often are imagining interwar period or pre-World War I Yiddish literature or even post-war America. There hasn't been a lot of translation of writing from the Soviet Union. There's some, but not a lot. And it's often very geopolitical in nature. So this was very, this was really a domestic experience in the Soviet Union of these, these women who were writing about their lives, getting, uh, getting a Seder together and the, the experience of having this Seder, and also uh, being a woman who is the housemaid to this large group of men uh, out in the 
large group of workers as part of the Soviet pro project of building the state. Yeah, one thing I'm thinking about that I really enjoyed about the issue was how many translations we included of Rachel Korn's work, Rachel Korn. So we were lucky enough to have a number of submissions from the same author, and it was really cool, and as a reader you'll get the chance to see this as well, to show sort of how translation works. I think having three different translators showcase her work brings a different flavor to each set of the translations. So we have some translators that focus on rhyme, we have some translators that focus more on content or flow, and of course um, the geographic location where Rachel where Rachel is writing from changes in, in each of the poems. So it's really cool to think of Rachel Korn writing from Uzbekistan versus her writing from the States versus, you know, she's really been all around and her life covers this amazing time span that you were talking about in Yiddish literature. That that was another question I have for you, which is I think that readers, and I include myself in this, um, do forget that Yiddish literature was written and published for over a century. And it's still being published. Yes. And how is that reflected in this anthology? Well, uh, you know, I think a lot of readers will be surprised to find a poem called Freeways, which Aaron <laughs> mentioned. Uh, I think the freeways are pretty underwritten about topic, um, especially in Yiddish literature. You know, a freeway is very specific to America. It's specific to the West Coast. I call it a highway. I'm from the East Coast. So already we have a geographic location. We have a time period, right? It's a very specific snapshot. Um, that's the one that comes to mind right away. It's definitely, you know, not a poem that takes place in Eastern Europe or Central Europe. It's not having anything to do with the war, although, as Eitan mentioned, it really does harken back to using the same imagery that we see in a lot of the other works from the period. So we can see this sort of expansion of Yiddish literature. But definitely, I mean, Yiddish had vivacious amounts of publication going on in the post-war period, and we've only just entered that in the personal historiography. You know, Jewish studies, um, we are just getting to the DP camps and the post-war period in history. It's a really fresh and exciting time, and I feel like we really tapped into that in the anthology. To Sadie's point, scholarship tends to be a little conservative in terms of what it looks into. So you often have roughly a 40-year bias in terms of the material that it will consider. So right now that we're in 2017, we're starting to get more writing about uh, Yiddish writing from the 1960s and the 1970s, and there are scholars that are more interested in this time period. It's partly that now time has passed, and this can be looked at with historical detachment. It's partly also that people, scholars are interested in new topics, and they want to see what else was out there. How can I expand the body of knowledge that has been written about in this field? It's exciting. It's, it also seems as though in the past year or so, there's been more and more published um, work in translation by women? You know, I think it's definitely on people's radar. Um, and in fact, I think, not that it's moving off the radar, but I, I'm really excited to see more work translated by women. But there's so many, just in the, in the world of translation, so many works that aren't getting a voice, you know, works in minority languages, works by trans folk, gender nonconforming folks. There are all sorts of voices that really aren't getting elevated. So it's great that we're translating women, but there's so many other people, people of color, all these people are writing and not getting translated. I do want to say, though, that uh, this is not the end of our project yeah. <laughs> of translating more Yiddish women writers or writers who are women who wrote Yiddish. 
that we have a number of translations in the works that will appear on yiddishbookcenter.org uh, slash language, literature, and culture. Uh, I'll, you can just go to yiddishbookcenter.org. Uh, there's a number of great stories by women in the works, and I hope we'll keep getting more and more submissions. Great. And I guess then what's next? I think there's a lot left to be translated in Yiddish. Um, well, you know, we're not supposed to reveal the process behind the scenes, and of course I'll be departing from August. But we have already been talking about settling into thematic issues for translation. So this was one of our first themed issues, the theme, of course, being women writers or writers who are women in, in Yiddish. Um, but I hope that we will continue using a theme in the future. And there's so many incredible things that are being written about, travel, transportation, by country, by geography, you know, we could only cover writers in, in California if we wanted to do a whole anthology, or this, that, only writers who write about trains. There's so many different <laughs> subjects one could focus on. I'm really excited to see them tied together. Yeah, a theme was something that I thought about for a very long time, and it just seemed like this was the time we should do it. Every I have every intention of making this the permanent situation for the translation issue, we will have themed issues. So Sadie's already alluded to one of the topics that we've been considering, which is something related to travel, transportation, which was a very common motif in Yiddish literature. Uh, that's definitely one of the contenders. Other things that we've been talking about are bilingual writers, with Yiddish as one of the language languages. Um, Yiddish and Hebrew was obviously very important dynamism in the early period. And it would be a useful, a fruitful topic to go back to, but also thinking about people who spoke different languages. For example, even if we think, well, let me start by saying, even if we think about Hebrew and Yiddish, uh, it's very different to be a bilingual author who speaks Hebrew in the early 20th century than it is in the later 20th century when there is a state of Israel and where Hebrew is a living language. Mm -hmm. The paradigm has flipped that now Yiddish would be the language that would probably be used less frequently, that would be used in specialized circumstances as opposed to before, where Hebrew would have been the special language because it wouldn't have been the more common one. So Hebrew-Yiddish would be an obvious pairing, English-Yiddish. Uh, I'm hopeful that there would be many, many more. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that people forget a lot is how many of our collections are from South and Central America. I would love to see Spanish in Yiddish or Portuguese in Yiddish also focused on the issues. Well, there you go. <laughs> also adventure. Yes. <laughs> ah. um, so for our listeners um, who are interested in reading these works um, and all the other works that you guys have been uh, gathering in translation and posting on our website, it's YiddishBookCenter.org. You can look in the navigation section under Language, Literature, and Culture, or just go to YiddishBookCenter.org. We've been posting translations on the homepage, also um, in a section called Yiddish in Translation. Uh, thank you as a reader. Um, it's an amazing collection of work that just blew me away. Um, so thank you for joining us. And it's available on our website or as an ebook. Uh, on our website, you can find it as a PDF. You can also find the stories as individual web pages if you prefer to read that way. And the ebook is available for sale from Amazon.com and iBooks and Barnes and Noble and anyone else who sells ebooks. And Goodreads. And thank you for doing my job, each. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, thanks a lot. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. To subscribe to this and other podcasts, visit YiddishBookCenter.org. I'm Sarah Bleichfeld. Be well, be healthy, and tune in again soon.